When I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. All right, yeah, our roster looks great on paper. Whoop the hell. All right. But at the end of the day, we better be a good team. And you start building that during this time of the year. Get your sorry ass up. Get your sorry ass up. Doing a lot of talking with somebody that ain't do shit today. Doing a lot of talking. Do you think you're better than Jarrell Revis is right now? I'm better than you. My 24 years of life, I'm better at life than you. I ain't never seen, I ain't never seen you before, huh? Man, go tell the coach you need some help. We gonna expose you, boy. All right, we coming at your ass. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Roundtable. Let's go! Let's go! What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable podcast. Proud members of the Full-Time Fantasy Podcast Network. You can find them at FTF Podnet on Twitter. You can find me, your host for the day, Matthew Bruning, at SportsFanaticMB on Twitter. We're just one of a ton of great podcasts that are associated with this network, some of which are Jim Day of FF Champs, Bob Lung of the award-winning Fantasy Football Consistency Guide, and the creator of the Midwest Fantasy Expo. He does a a great job on his consistency pod. We also have the hot take pod. And then, of course, Corey Parsons and Dr. Roto from Sirius XM Fantasy. You can find all of us on FullTimeFantasy.com. We are also excited to be partnering with ExpandTheBoxScore.com. You can find them at XTBoxScore on Twitter. They have some of the best NFL and college stats in the business. If you follow me on Twitter and you see all of the... uh, Posts that I put up of incoming prospects and Debbie players, I get all of my stats from Expand the Box Core. It is a great site, and it is extremely hard to find such good college football stats. If you use our code ROUNDTABLE, you can get 10% off of the annual fee, which is just $15 a year. It is a steal of a deal, if I do say so myself. If you like to dive into the analytical side of prospects, it is well worth your time and money. For today's episode, we have got a medical expert joining us. We're super excited about this. He's well-known in the community and well-respected in the community. He does just a, a fantastic job when it comes to talking about injuries and just players in general. He is extremely knowledgeable, 10 times smarter than me and Dennis probably put together, and then I would I would even give Dennis an edge over me. So that's saying, I guess I shouldn't say that's a lot. We're, we're, we're dumb. This guy is extremely smart. We are just thrilled to have him on here. He's waiting right now with Dennis, so we're going to jump both of them on here now, talk about some of the NFL prospects and injuries to some of the bigger NFL players as we move into the 2020 season. And we've got a special guest joining us today. I'm super excited to have him on here talking all kinds of injuries and just fantasy football in general. He is a board-certified orthopedic clinical specialist, physical therapist. He is the host of the Red Shirts FF Pod. He is the injury analyst for the FF Ballers and a proud member of the FSWA. You can find him on Twitter at the Fantasy PT. Mr. Matthew Betts, what is going on, man? Welcome to the roundtable. Thank you so much for joining me and Dennis today. How are you doing in this wonderful time in the United States of America? <laughs> well, anytime we are filling our downtime with more fantasy football, it is never a bad thing. So uh, it's a crazy world out there right now, but I'm definitely happy to step away for an hour or so and sit down with you guys um, and just talk football, man. I'm super excited and really appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, we're we're excited to have you on, and I'm I'm with you on that. It's nice to I guess have a little bit of a distraction from what's going on outside, and just uh, enjoy talking about something we all like. Uh, obviously, Dennis is here as well. You guys can follow him at culture underscore coach on Twitter. Dennis, what's going on, man? How you doing on this beautiful Friday? Man, it's 65 degrees here in Ohio. Rain like hell yesterday, so I kind of my house is like in the middle of a lake now. Um, but I always wanted lakefront property, so I guess that's not so bad. Yeah, there you go. It's all working out for you. All working out for you. So uh, I mentioned here in the intro that Matt, you are a uh, you're a physical therapist. You're really if anybody doesn't follow you on Twitter, you put all kinds of great not just fantasy advice out there and an analysis, but also great stuff on injuries. Uh, and that's kind of what we wanted to talk to you about today. But as always, when we bring people on here, we like to get to know you a little bit before we just bombard you with questions. Although I guess in a way we are bombarding you with questions now, but uh, how did you uh, how did you get involved in the fantasy football and how long have you been playing fantasy football? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess for me it all started 
quite a few years ago at this point, uh, back in college. Uh, I didn't play a ton in high school, actually. And to be honest with you, wasn't even really a huge NFL fan in high school. And then in college, I don't even know what it was. It, it just kind of a, a flip switched and, um, you know, it, I just got into it and becoming more knowledgeable about injuries and kind of looking at the landscape of people covering fantasy football. There really wasn't uh, a lot of people covering injuries at the time that I kind of started doing it. And I was like, huh, I know a lot about injuries. I like football a ton. So let's combine the two and let's, you know, really kind of go all in. And ever since then, it's been uh, it's been crazy. Lots of leagues writing for tons of different websites. And uh, obviously, I know you two from writing for Dynasty Nerds a few years ago, which was awesome. Um, and then from there, you know, it just kind of took off. So hard to say if there was one specific moment that led to it, but I would say probably for about the last seven or eight years, definitely been all in. That's awesome. Uh, I've not met a lot of people who I kind of, I mean, obviously don't have the, the medical and, and injury stuff that you have, but I was the same way. I was a huge baseball soccer guy all through high school. I could not have cared one lick about football. So it was kind of interesting to not a lot of people say that. Usually we bring people on. It's like, you know, how long have you watched football? How long have you been fantasy football? And it's all my life. So it's kind of cool to hear someone else that just kind of, I mean, I've been into it for probably eight to 10 years now, but I wasn't someone who's, who's followed it my entire life. Uh, what is, uh, do you have a favorite format that you you play i would say right now i mean i don't play in leagues honestly anymore that aren't super flex it's just it's just more fun and it just brings more value to the quarterback position uh and it makes the game more challenging so i like playing in that kind of format i'm kind of lukewarm on ppr versus half ppr but i mean in today's game you know no one plays standard anymore so i guess uh i'm a big fan of super flex ppr type formats for sure yeah, Superflex definitely seems to be the the route that everybody's leagues are going. I'm in I'm in a few. I still haven't converted all of mine yet. I'm still, I guess, one of those dinosaurs that's still kind of living in the one QB leagues and everything. But I, I I'm I do think it's going to eventually move toward that. Like a lot of leagues have moved to PPR uh, over a few years ago. It really started to make that big push, and I think Superflex is making that move as well. Do you have a, a favorite team or favorite NFL player? Oh yes, my favorite team is the Eagles. Uh, I grew up right around Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, quote unquote, my hometown team. It's about an hour and a half outside of Philadelphia. So that is my squad. And I live up in Vermont. So for me, being able to watch the Eagles knock off the Patriots in the Super Bowl, <laughs> living in New England was something that I'll, I'll never forget and something that definitely bought me like five more years of living here. So uh, big nice. Eagles fan. What do you think of the Darius Slay trade? I love it, man. I love how aggressive Howie Roseman is in free agency and certainly the secondary, which feels like for the past five, six, seven years, ever since they blew all that money on Namdi Asamoa, if you guys remember that a few years ago, yeah. uh, they've been needing secondary help for quite a while. So I like the signing there definitely uh, of Slay. So are the Eagles going to ride or die with Greg Ward or are they going to go out and get some receivers? <laughs> Yeah, we're still waiting for that Robbie Anderson uh, news alert come, to come across or Brashad Perryman. Uh, but obviously, every mock that you look at has them taking a receiver in round one. So certainly they're they're passing for now. We'll see. But yeah, they have to they have to get someone to fill that depth chart. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited to hear some of your thoughts on these prospects. I know as we were we were talking before the the podcast through Twitter that you've done a lot of research on this draft class. So I'm sure there's a, a wide receiver, maybe two that you would hope the Eagles land maybe early and late. So I'm excited to get your, your opinions on that. Cause uh, I've been doing, I know both me and Dennis have, we've done a lot of stuff here recently on the show about the, the rookie class, especially the wide receivers. So I'm interested to see who you are a fan of, but we wanted to get, uh, put you to work and use your, your medical expertise here. Uh, Dennis actually came up with a lot of the NFL questions. I, I did a lot of the, the prospect ones. So Dennis, I'll let you kind of kick off this first one and, uh, uh, give Matt some of the questions that you came up with you wanted to, to get answers to to help out some of our listeners. Well, I'm a as a Dwayne Haskins fan, I, I've I like the Redskins. I want to see what's going on, and I know they're a hot mess. Uh, but at the price, it's been hard to pass on Darius Geis a lot of times. So what what does his injury history bode for his future? Is he coming back? And last year he came back and he looked great in that one game, and then he was injured again and gone for the rest of the season. 
is he going to make it back or is it just going to be a continual uh, issue of re-injury? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. And it's one that I think a lot of people want to know the answer to because of how much hype he had coming out of LSU. And it just never came to fruition. So I actually put this out uh, on my Twitter probably about a week and a half ago at this point, And I said, from a medical perspective, I'm in on Geist this year, which you would never have see me write or say or or tweet last year at this time and there's a huge difference and I'll, and I'll tell you why so obviously last season coming off of the acl surgery from the year prior it really was never going to be the year of darius guys the infection that he had in his knee after the surgery really delayed his progress with rehab and after an acl surgery it's just so important to start progressing range of motion progressing strength uh, minimizing swelling, all that stuff that happens in the first month after surgery is so important to the long-term success after that surgery. And when you have an infection, there is big-time concern uh, about how quickly you can cross those hurdles, so to speak. And for Geis, knowing that his infection basically lasted and was affecting his knee for upwards of about three months, we could say with a minimum, his recovery timeline, which for most ACL surgeries, is about 9 to 12 months. His was going to be longer and probably 3 to 6 months longer. And so last year I was telling everyone, you know, if you have guys, sell them if there's hype, buy them back later in the season. It, it just was never going to be the year for guys from a medical perspective. But uh, coming off the ACL, now we're a full season removed from that. We always like that extra season away. The other issue there is that the other knee had some minor injuries. A small meniscus tear, which required surgery to remove a little bit of the, the torn piece of the meniscus inside the knee recovery is about two to four weeks and there's not really that many long-term effects of that the other small injury was an mcl sprain which heals very well without surgery so now we're getting darius geis to enter an off season completely healthy knowing that he's had at least some nfl game experience and two pretty reliably healing injuries in the mcl and the meniscus and a full season removed from the acl so from a medical perspective i'm in on geis now, I don't know what the Redskins are going to do, and that's a whole <laughs> different conversation probably, but I feel relatively confident in Darius Geis, especially compared to how I was viewing him last year. So they they also drafted Bryce Love last year, who was coming off an injury. Uh, you know, People like to hold him up as the poster boy of uh, when, when the league tells you you're going to be a high draft pick, go, because you never know what's going to happen. But that junior year, Love looked phenomenal. So how do you think he's coming? Is the signing of J.D. McKissick, does that mean that Love's not coming along like they hoped, do you think? You know, where are we at with Love's injury? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question to answer because there aren't really that many details out there about it. Uh, I did read a report probably about, I don't know, two months ago at this point saying that everything looked pretty good. Um, I think the the signing of McKissick is honestly probably more of a result of the team likely moving on from Chris Thompson. Obviously, he's had a lot of struggle to stay on the field. So I think he fills that pass-catching role out of the backfield. Um, but it is a crowded depth chart, no doubt about it, with Geis. Obviously, Adrian Peterson's still there. Um, and now Bryce Love, who was honestly in the same situation as uh, Darius Geis in that he had some post-operative stiffness in his knee, which is a common thing that occurs in about 15% of surgeries where despite doing all the right things, the joint just kind of heals in a way where there's a lot of stiffness inside the joint and it doesn't allow you to regain that full motion right away. And that's where those scares came in at the, the combine medical checks uh, a year and a half ago at this point. So expecting Love to do anything really in year one with Washington was... Um, unrealistic to say the least. Again, I feel confident about him now compared to last year from a medical perspective, but with the backfield concerns and how much really work there is to go around, it's hard to see a scenario where all these guys are are really fantasy relevant. Uh, Darius Guys is a 
he, he's a guy who's been labeled quote unquote injury prone, and I kind of wanted to get uh, your opinion on this because we see a lot of fantasy analysts and everyone just say, "Well, this guy's injury prone." Does that actually mean anything in the medical community? Do you guys buy into that at all, or how do you explain that from, I guess, our perspective, if that makes sense, on how we look at it? And a player who gets injured often or is injured multiple times, how do you guys look at it compared to us just calling them quote unquote injury prone? Yeah, absolutely. This is one of my favorite questions to answer, but also uh, I hate it <laughs> at the same time uh, because you just see it so much out there. And sometimes it's kind of correct and sometimes it's just not. And for me, what I look at when I look at evaluating a player's injury risk is the history. So anytime I'm on a podcast talking injuries or writing an article, I always make it as simple as I can. And basically, injuries are the best predictor of future injury. So the specific injury matters a lot, right? Like if a guy has a, a hamstring strain in one season and then has an AC joint injury in his shoulder the next season, that is not injury prone. And the biggest example of that I can think of off the top of my head is Keenan Allen, right? For years, everyone was saying this guy is injury prone and stay away. But you have to look at the history and the specifics of the history because for him, it was a torn ACL. And in college, it was uh, a PCL injury, which is basically the opposite of the ACL. Still sits inside the joint, but it's a little bit different. And then when he got to the pros, it was uh, an AC joint injury, a broken clavicle, a kidney lacerated injury, like just kidney, lacerated yeah. kidney, right? Just like random stuff. And so you have to look at the trend. Now, one guy that I think is prone to future injury, for sure, is Will Fuller. And... That is one that I will 100% agree with the public on because you look at the trend. Yes, he's had a shoulder injury, but 90% of his injuries are lower body and they are hamstring and or knee related. So there's a recurring theme that we can point to to say those injuries are more likely to repeat versus someone that has a shoulder injury, then an ankle injury, then a concussion. Like Those, those just don't correlate as much. So you have to look at the specifics of what the injury is to really answer that question. All right, well, I'm going to throw a curveball at you really quick because my favorite player is on my favorite team, and that's Odell Beckham Jr. He seems to have a lot of lower body injuries, mostly in the legs and groin areas. So would you say that he is, for the most part, injury prone then? It's it's trending that way, unfortunately, with what we've seen recently. Now, we got we got to talk about what those are because it definitely matters as far as the differences between the two. Uh, mostly talking about the the hip and kind of the groin injuries mm-hmm. versus, let's say, like the fractured uh, ankle from a couple of seasons ago. So that definitely can be thrown out. He's passed that. Surgery has healed very well. Obviously, he's been back on the field and it's been productive since then. So that we can throw out. But these recurring like hip and groin strains and abdominal muscle injuries, they definitely do take a toll on a player, especially in a sport like football where you are relying so much on top-end speed and cutting ability and explosiveness, those muscle groups have to work really hard to kind of stabilize your core and your hip. And so for a player like that, I'm not really willing to call him injury-prone yet, but certainly it's trending in a negative direction to the point where you might ask yourself, is now the time to get out from Odell Beckham if there's someone else in your league who still wants him uh, et cetera. So that's kind of how I'm viewing him. I'm not ready to jump ship yet, but certainly there are enough yellow flags popping up. All right. I want to ask one more question on him because I, I am truly infatuated with that player. Um, a lot of There was a lot of talk, obviously, about that hip and the groin being an issue earlier in the season. Would you just by, again, obviously you don't know him, you're not, it's not like you've been able to look at his medicals, but do you think that could be a reason why it seemed to be such a struggle for him to be such a big play, uh, big play threat down the field for the Browns last year? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the injury he was dealing with started literally in the first week yeah. of training camp. Uh, so he literally dealt with it the entire season. And, you know, in NFL, it's it's such a gruesome sport and it's such a brutal timeline. There's no time for recovery. You just look at, you know, not even talking about rehab, but if you would just think about how the body heals itself, it never happens in just a week unless it's a very minor, minor injury. So these guys are trying to play through nagging injuries all the time. And for him, dealing with, uh, they call it a muscle a core muscle injury, which is basically a junk term for meaning 
one of your groin muscles, one of your hip flexors, one of your core muscles, the attachment point onto the pelvis essentially is either really inflamed and irritated or actually has a tear in it. And those things hurt like hell, to be honest with you guys. So, okay. you know, I have zero, zero doubts that he was playing through pain. Definitely not 100%. But it's still encouraging that he went over 1,000 yards in a season where the Browns offense in general was, was down, right? So, right. Yeah. Um, yes, I think he was definitely affected last year. All right, there's a, another guy that I wanted to bring up, a quarterback who's who's actually not on a team right now, which is kind of surprising to me, and, and something that uh, one of the other hosts I did on the show yesterday brought up, or actually it might have been Dennis, you might have brought this up on Monday. Uh, Cam Newton, uh, there's a lot of talk, obviously, he's got the shoulder and foot issues the past couple years, and a lot of people think maybe Carolina was so willing to move on from him and go to Teddy Bridgewater was because of the injuries. Uh, do you think this could be a, a long-term thing for Cam, or do we think he might be back to Superman uh, this season with, we are assuming, going to be signing with a new team and be healthy? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in, in Cam's situation because I think the signing of Teddy tells us some information but not the whole story because obviously with what's going on in today's world and the you know the pandemic that we're facing, these guys can't be seen by team doctors to really get truly evaluated. And so maybe if you're Carolina, you're thinking, I don't know when I'm going to be able to get Cam in here to, to check him out. I'm just going to take the safe bet and move on to a player that we know is healthy at this point in time. So that's one way of looking at it. But to answer your question, is Cam going to be Superman? I don't think so. I mean, he's coming off of a Liz Frank surgery, which is basically um, a surgery to address ligaments and or bones in the middle of your foot which always be are stressed with cutting movements planting and pivoting and so for a guy like cam who's relied so much on mobility to be a fantasy monster it's hard to see a scenario this season where where cam gets back to that not only because of the injury but now we have to consider he's going to a new team probably learning a new offense, new weapons that he has to get used to if he actually gets a starting job. And so there's just so many moving parts that I doubt Cam ever really returns to the true dual threat quarterback that he is. I don't think we'll ever see that again. Now, is a Liz Frank and a Jones fracture, are they the, is that the same injury or just something in a similar area? Uh, I, I similar hear, area. Okay. Yeah, similar area, different surgery. So the Jones fracture... It is basically the bone on the outside of your foot. If you kind of feel on like the ridge on the outside of your foot, yeah. that's the bone that gets broken with that. Whereas oh, okay. the Liz Frank is kind of right in the middle uh, of the foot. Right. That's uh, my wife has had some Liz Frank uh, issues and it's uh, not pleasant to be around. <laughs> yeah, those are brutal. So, what about Cam's shoulder? If he if he goes somewhere and can learn an offense, is his shoulder going to be solid enough now that, uh, and can he can he overcome his urge to run and, and become more of a passer? I think he definitely could. You know, it's that's never really been his game though, right? Like he's not been known as like a, a true gunslinger with great accuracy. That's that's just not Cam, but. I think he can do it from a medical perspective. I think his shoulder will be fine. The concern about the shoulder, though, is the trend that we're seeing. And so it's kind of complicated. But in Cam's recent history, he does have a rotator cuff repair, which for a throwing athlete is a long-term concern. It'll buy him another probably three-ish years or so. But he's not going to be playing to the point where he's Tom Brady in his 40s. I mean, it just won't happen. The other issue is that he has also had a cartilage injury inside of the shoulder joint, which, you know, we hear about arthritis all the time with guys in their knees and Todd Gurley and this and that. But the same is true for a throwing athlete with a cartilage injury in the shoulder. So at some point down the line, Cam is going to have arthritis in that shoulder. You add in the rotator cuff on top of that. And long term, I don't think he's going to be an asset for years to come. I think he could still have some production in him for the next couple of seasons. But certainly, if you're talking about a dynasty format, I mean, you have to hope he lands a starting job, does well, and then you can get out from under him. Okay. Yeah, I uh, as, speaking from a non-athlete perspective, uh, rotator cuff injuries aren't, uh, aren't great. <laughs> they definitely are not. <laughs> so, 
Uh, well, let's let's move on to to another running back. So we all threw our arms up in disgust when Bill O'Brien <laughs> traded uh, DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson. Uh, John, a couple of years ago, Johnson had a phenomenal season. All things seemed to be trending up, and then he's had a knee injury, a wrist injury, and whatnot. Last season when he came back, he just looked slow and overweight. Is there uh, is is he breaking down and there just isn't the skill there, or is is he going to be able to have a bounce back this year? Well, I think he'll have every opportunity to bounce back, right? I mean, when you trade a guy like DeAndre Hopkins – uh, for David Johnson and change, it has to tell you that they're going to give him every opportunity to succeed. We ju- did just see Carlos Hyde go over a thousand yards there last year. So, can David Johnson do it? Yes, he'll have the opportunity. Is he the same player? I'm not sure yet. I think we need to see more of him on the field because he did have a back injury early in the year last year, as well as an ankle injury, and he just never really looked the same when he got back on the field. So, I definitely agree with you. He looked sluggish, he looked slow. Not really himself, but everything you read about David Johnson and everything you hear is that he's just a good dude and puts his nose down and works. So I think we're going to see a lot early in training camp, assuming we have a training camp and some in preseason. And we're going to see really what he is and what the truth is about last season. But, you know, if you have a back injury, especially in a, a contact sport, it's relatively unrealistic to expect that player to feel like himself again, whether or not it's because of fear of re-injury or truly playing through discomfort and pain. You know, we've seen it with guys like Gronk before where it's just kind of the snowball effect. So I'm not sure if David Johnson's done, but certainly you could say his best days are probably behind him. I want to, yeah, I want to throw another curveball at you here. Um, you just mentioned if we have a if we have any uh, training camps and everything because with everything going on right now with obviously COVID nineteen we we don't know what's going to happen. It's definitely likely going to be a weird start to the NFL season. I was trying to think of some of the other players. I know for sure like Big Ben is coming off a pretty serious injury that I, I would think that the the training camps and everything are going to be a big deal for him. How much is that going to affect guys coming back from serious injuries, in your opinion, with them not being able to go out and now work at team facilities and everything? They have to do all this stuff kind of on their own. I'm sure they're talking to team doctors and everything, but for the most part, doing this stuff on their own, rehab on their own, and not really get to be with teams when they usually are. Because I know, I want to say most NFL teams, especially if you have a new head coach, could already have started reporting, I think, next week to deal with certain stuff. Now all that stuff's going to be moved back with everything going on in the world. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that it's come to this, but it is a concern for sure. Because like you were saying, you know, I'm sure there's some sort of communication going on throughout the offseason, obviously. But there's not that face to face, you know, uh, everyone in a meeting, everyone going through film, going through team workouts, all that stuff. And it definitely takes time to acclimate to football shape. And that's not just true for football. I mean, any sport, right? Like. Um, I'm playing in, in co-ed soccer leagues up here now in my adult age. And the first two weeks out there, like I feel terrible, right? Like, <laughs> my legs are heavy, sore. Uh, it, it takes time to get back to that demand that the sport puts on the body. And if you're telling me that these guys potentially won't have, you know, late July, early August to uh, accommodate to football shape, we are going to see more minor injuries usually hamstring calf strains quad strains that kind of stuff early in the season so it is definitely something that is a concern um for sure from a medical perspective well what are the types of things that uh, athletes should be doing then to i guess speed along the football shape what can they do at home yeah i mean it's a great, they have great trainers and stuff but it always seems like we need to wait for them to get into football shape And most of us, I think, equate that as they need to get hit. But here we're talking about, you know, strains and sprains. Yeah. So the biggest thing is a balance. And and most trainers and most NFL players know this. I mean, they're training at the highest level. But there really is a balance between making sure that we're not just stressing one system at a time. So getting in the gym and squatting 600 pounds like Saquon Barkley does is fantastic. But if he's doing that, let's say in July, it's not quite as important because what players are doing right now is they are 
uh, doing a lot of their strength work to put on more muscle and to be built up for the season. And as the summer progresses, they should be transitioning to uh, less weight, more what we call plyometric or agility work, where it mimics doing like ladder drills, box jumps, those kind of things to get them ready for those explosive movements that they have to do. And then the third thing is leading into training camp, they should be doing some sort of sprinting mechanics training to allow hamstrings, calves, etc., to accommodate to the sport, the forces that that gets put on them. And certainly getting hit is part of that equation, but it's not, it's not what we see cause injury early in training camp. Yeah. It's, it's like with hamstrings a lot, it's like opening up to go run under that ball. That's a little bit overthrown and then right. they pull up with it with a hamstring because uh, the explosion isn't quite ready. Right. Well, I'm going to, I got one more running back question before we let Matt hop into the, uh, the colleges. So, I'm a noted penny truther. Oh, you and me both. And, and, you know, the hard thing for me was I loved Chris Carson the year before. And so when I loved Penny coming out, it broke my heart that he went to Seattle because I was a big Chris Carson fan. So they're both coming off injuries this year. Uh, So who does Pete Carroll, which running back does Pete Carroll draft in the first round this year? Yeah, I guess third time's the charm, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, no. I so how are is Penny gonna ever be a thing? Is, is he seems to get dinged up a lot? Is he is he earning that injury prone tag? Carson seems like he he gets more of the Keenan Allen fluky type injuries. So what's going yeah. on? What can we expect from them this year? Yeah, I don't think we can expect a lot from Penny to be honest with you. Uh, given that his injury happened about halfway through the season, like I was saying before, we know it usually takes about a year for these guys to really get back to their pre-injury level of play. And for Penny, we have to remember now he's entering, I think, year three, if that sounds correct. Yep. But given that he's not going to be himself probably until October, November of this season, he's going to be stuck behind someone else on the depth chart. So I think for him, we could see a flash later in the season, similar to Geist last year. But it's going to depend on who's in front of him on the depth chart. If there's someone else that comes in, let's say it's a rookie um, and comes in and just steals the show, our days as penny truthers could be numbered, unfortunately, because I, I definitely liked him coming out. But for Chris Parson, you know, he he did fracture that hip late in the season. It was in December. And fortunately, he did not have the type of injury that Tua had where it was a, a dislocation. But it is a serious injury and one that takes time to heal Now, for his specific concern, his play style concerns me from a re-injury perspective because of how violent he is, because of how many hits he takes, and because of the the workload he's had over the past couple of seasons with Seattle and their 1999 offense where they just run, run, pass uh, every series, it feels like. So for a guy like that, he he has had um, an ankle fracture dislocation. He has had a, a minor knee injury. Now the hip injury, lots of lower body injuries on a guy that has mileage. And let's not forget, I think seventh round pick, if that sounds correct, or sixth Six, for I Chris think. Carson. Yeah. So not a ton of, of draft capital invested in him. The team loves him, but I, I think it's going to be a slow start for Carson this year and a slow start for Penny. So I think both guys could be on their way out as starting assets in our roster if they draft someone and he steals the show. So do you think there's a shot that the uh... Seattle cuts bait with Penny. After this year, he's got a $2 million dead cap hit. So if he can't come back and run like gangbusters, you think they just cash it in and say, we gave it a shot and he's on a new team next year? I mean, it's possible, but we're also talking about the same team that, for some reason, still had CJ Proceis on the (laughs) roster (laughs) as of last year. So uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see them give him one more chance. Okay. All right, I want to talk about some of the prospects now. Uh, the big winner at the combine was uh, was Henry Ruggs, yet he uh, kind of hurt his hamstring running running the 40 time, and I saw a lot of people comparing him to John Ross, who seems to kind of struggle with the same injuries since he's come into the NFL. Uh, is that a fair comparison to make? And what I mean by that is these speed guys, you mentioned Will Fuller earlier, earlier seems to have these recurring issues with his hamstrings. Uh, is it just because they're so fast, they, they maybe don't hold themselves – hold themselves back is probably not the right way to put it, but they just, as Dennis put it, kind of just let themselves go. Is that, that a 
easy way to kind of injure your hamstrings? And should we be worried about that with a guy like Henry Ruggs, who is clearly known for his blazing speed and his ability to run down the field? Yeah, that's a great question because it's almost a fault that these guys are so fast. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Of course, speed is excellent in the NFL. But like you were saying, you know, those guys that are such deep threats, speedsters, they are at an increased risk for these soft tissue injuries, specifically for the hamstring, because in the running cycle, essentially, as you swing your leg forward to take the next step and hit the ground, that is when the hamstring is on the most stretch and working its hardest. So these guys that are running, you know, 4-2-7 and 4-2-2 in the 40 and are, you know, your deep threat guys like Deshaun Jackson, John Ross, like you said, they tend to have an increased risk compared to other more nuanced route runners like DeAndre Hopkins, uh, uh, Stefan Diggs, for example, those kind of players where they're in and out of their breaks versus that top end speed. So the position they play and the way they play it inherently increases their risk for those hamstring injuries. But there isn't enough in uh, in Ruggs college injury history to say that he is the next John Ross. He has missed a couple of games here and there, but John Ross missed a ton of time in college and had a pretty serious knee injury as well with the surgery. Um, so the two are different players from that perspective, but they profile uh, very similarly. Uh, another guy who's kind of seems to be a very polarizing prospect in this draft. Uh, and I, I mean, I find him extremely intriguing. I saw what you did with him on the, the red shirts fancy pod. You've actually got a pinned tweet about him. Uh, I really like this guy. So I'm really intrigued to get your thoughts on him because he does come with a very interesting and significant injury history. And that's LaVisca Chenault, who a lot of people think if he can stay healthy at the NFL level is going to be an absolute stud. But the biggest question on him is his injury history. What are your thoughts on LaVisca Chenault, knowing everything that he did in college and the injury injury history that he's bringing into the NFL? Yeah, it's definitely a lengthy history, no doubt about it. Um, but there is some positive news in regards to LaVisca Chenault in regards to his injuries. And mainly that is that right now his profile is more of a Keenan Allen type of situation. He had um, a labral tear in his shoulder, um, you know, another minor injury to his lower body at the ankle. It's not a, it's not a recurring theme like we're talking about on this show with recurring knee injuries, recurring hamstring strains, etc. The most recent thing for Chenault is basically this core muscle repair surgery, which we talked about with Odell Beckham. And honestly, guys, I was just shocked that he even ran the 40 at the combine. Uh, I think it hurt his stock because he was basically already coming out and people were saying he's going through pain and he's he's assessing whether or not he even needs surgery. So for him to come out and try to prove that, I think, hurt him in a negative way. And obviously he didn't do any other drills, but you know, not even what 48 hours after he ran the 40 news came out that he was going to have surgery to address that. So I think that was a, a poor decision by him. Uh, I love the player. I love the upside he brings. I think we're going to have to wait and see if his injuries are truly becoming a recurring theme or if it's kind of fluky right now, I'm going to give him a pass and say it's mostly fluky, but you have to certainly ask the question. And I think it's a valid one. With him getting that core muscle surgery, so that would have been, what, a little less than a month ago now, right? Just a couple weeks ago with it coming right after the combine. Assuming, again, obviously everything goes right, as you were talking about earlier with, with Redskins players, some of the issues they've had after their surgeries. Assuming everything goes right, training camps and everything kick off right around preseason, all that stuff, he should be good to go, would you think, after having this surgery, I guess, so early in the process? Oh, yeah. He'll okay. definitely be ready to go. Uh, those surgeries usually take about eight weeks before the player gets back to 100%. So he's going to be full go come training camp. Awesome. All right, so before we move on to, to the big one that not only everybody in the fantasy community, community is talking about, but the NFL as well, uh, who are your top-ranked wide receivers in this class? I know you said you were doing a lot of uh, looking at these guys and, and studying the prospects. Who, who are your top guys right now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's hard to look away from... CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy, they are just absolute monsters. And at this point, it's hard to see a scenario where these guys don't hit at the next level. 
Yeah, I'm with you. So which one do you want to land on the Eagles? Because I know you got to have at least one of those guys you're hoping falls to the Eagles in the first round. Yeah, if CeeDee Lamb somehow falls to the Eagles, I will stop yeah, what I'm doing. I will go buy <laughs> a jersey right away. Uh, I, I don't know that he makes it that far, though. All the mocks you see, he's going top 15. So we'll see what happens. If somehow he gets there or the, the Eagles trade up, I will be on cloud nine. Is there, a, is there another wide receiver prospect that you like that maybe you think the Eagles could grab later in the draft? Like, I, I, I love Isaiah Hodgins at Oregon State. He's a guy that I've been pumping up a lot. It's probably not gonna, he's probably going to be, I would think, a third or fourth round NFL prospect that I think could be really good at the NFL level. Is there a guy like that you think the Eagles might try or you would like to see the Eagles try and get later in the draft to kind of bolster that wide receiver core? Yeah, one guy that I'm definitely coming around on, and I, I, to be honest with you, I wasn't really – that in on him initially, but then I watched more tape and, and kind of looked at his game a little bit more as Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State. Okay. Um, I am rising on this guy, and uh, he needs to land in the right situation in an offense where he can get the ball quickly and in those intermediate routes. He can go deep and he can win deep, but you watch him on like a slant or a dig, uh, and he's beating his defender every time, it feels like. So if he gets the quarterback that can throw the ball well with timing, I think he's going to succeed at the next level. I'm thinking immediately about uh, the Saints specifically for a guy like that would be awesome. Um, if he gets at the right quarterback, the right situation, I think he could be uh, a very, very good NFL player. I like. So, it. Do, do you think Ayuk fits in that system with Mike Thomas? At Michael Thomas, isn't he sort of not a speedster as well? And- yeah, they kind of profile is similar. Obviously, Michael Thomas, we can't compare to anyone at this point. Uh, but yes, uh, that's a great point. They need to, yeah, they need to fill that deeper threat role. No doubt about it. Who's uh? Is there a certain running back that you? Everybody's arguing about these top three or four or five guys. I guess depending on how many you have ranked up here in this tier one. Is there one running back that stands out for you, or are you kind of? with a lot of the other community where you're you're kind of debating back and forth like pick a day of the week and it could be a different player right there at the top of your top of the RB category. Yeah, I think that just tells you how good this class is from yeah. a running back perspective. Um I'm mostly with the community in that I have a, a group of three or four that I absolutely love and would be absolutely ecstatic to get any of these guys. Uh certainly with free agency coming to a close soon and being a little bit more able to project depth charts and good spots for landings for these guys, I think that's going to change a lot. Um, for me, the top two are DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor in no order. For me, they are pretty much equivalent right now, and it's going to be who lands in a better situation. That's going to be the guy that I would prefer. But man, this class is so deep at running back and wide receiver. So if you've got those 2020 picks, it is going to be a fun rookie draft. Well, explain to me why you're wrong. <laughs> I will not do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the the quarterback. This is this is the big one, and I, I know it's going to be hard to answer because like I said we don't even know what NFL teams have seen on this guy. But Tua, we, we've heard that everything is okay with the hip. He's good to go. I want to start with the hip first because I, I have a little bit of worries about his ankles. Uh, but what can you tell us about just how serious this hip issue was? and what we can expect moving forward, assuming everything is good, and how we might know that uh, things are not progressing as well as maybe we are being told that they are. Yeah, that's a great point. It is going to be very difficult to assess that as the spring moves along and as summer gets here, because like we were talking about, without these medical checks, it's so difficult. And one thing for Tua that I think was going to be huge was uh, the – the NFL Combine, they have their medical checks, and then usually a month after that, they go back for additional testing to see what has changed, and now he's not getting that opportunity. So it really does, I feel like, you could say it hurts, you could say it helps, because it leaves the question mark up in the air. And so NFL teams aren't going to be able to say, oh my gosh, look how bad this is. But similarly, they're not going to be able to say, oh my gosh, look how great this is. We're, we're kind of stuck with the latest news, which as of the Combine, was that things are progressing as expected. Things are healing well. Two is on track for his recovery. But the biggest thing I want to caution people with this injury is that they said, I think it was like March 9th, they said he's going to be cleared for all football activities, which is complete and utter nonsense. I mean, you're talking about an injury that literally could have resulted in Tua 
having a total hip replacement when the injury happened because what happens is when the the hip dislocates out of the socket there's a high risk of disruption of the blood flow to the top of your your thigh bone your femur and if they don't get that hip back in place within a very short amount of time which hats off to the staff at alabama they did a great job if they don't do that uh basically the bone loses its nutrition and it dies and essentially they have to replace the joint and if that would have happened his nfl career would have been over so it is a a major injury it is one that is probably not going to have him as himself in 2020 i think he has to go to a situation where there is a quarterback on the roster that can let him sit for at least half the season, ideally the entire season, but then really come back strong in 2021. Do the ankle injuries worry you at all? Because I've seen a lot of people say he's had that tightrope surgery on both of his ankles and that in the long run that may be a good thing. But the way I look at it, I've heard a lot of NFL players say you never want to go under the knife. And so the fact that he's actually gone in and had to have surgery – on both of his ankles does worry me a little bit, regardless of what I've never seen. I have not seen an actual medical professional come out and say that it's a good thing for him moving forward, but just other people in the NFL community say, Oh no, that'll be good. His ankles are tightened up or whatever it is that that tightrope surgery does. Are you worried about that at all with his ankles moving forward? Or do you think that surgery helped him to a point where it's not as much as an issue as we saw it was in college? Yeah, this is a really interesting topic and I'm glad you brought it up because the hip has just made so many headlines and that's what everyone talks about. But, you know, Tua spent three years at Alabama and he's had three surgeries, which is big time. Um, These tightrope procedures, however, are considered very minor, but they are newer, meaning that even five, six years ago, these weren't being done when people would have a high ankle sprain. So essentially what it is, is, is they go inside and the two lower leg bones have a ligament that connects them. And whenever you have a high ankle sprain, that ligament gets stretched a little bit and it can create pain, sensations of instability. Um, And if it's a a big enough tear, it can actually lead to a fracture. But basically what the type of procedure does is they, they tighten up that ligament and they provide a little bit of external support to the ligament uh, to keep those two lower leg bones at a normal position. And so it is never a good thing when an athlete has to have surgery. So I definitely can, can get on board with that. But, there is some preliminary research out there right now that actually suggests that this is a beneficial move long term. So I'm in the community of, of thinkers that it's if I had a choice, I would say hopefully no one has to have surgery. But for right. this kind of thing, I think it actually is beneficial. All right. So if you're the Dolphins and he's sitting there at five after everything you've kind of seen and, and you've read, you would you? Assuming you know you have Ryan Fitzpatrick for the whole year, no reservations about drafting Tua, you take him, redshirt him for the year, and kick him off to be the starter in 2021? Oh, absolutely. All right, awesome. I like it, I like it. So you would know Justin Herbert, love, huh? No Justin Herbert over Tua, no? Who are your quarterbacks, I guess I should ask you? Yeah, I'm chalk on this one. For me, it's it's Burrow, then Tua, uh, and then Herbert. Unfortunately, I'm not, I'm not coming on here with any – Spicy hot takes. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. I, I personally love Justin Herbert. He's he's one of my favorite uh, prospects in this class. Uh, so who um, who's a prospect? I'm, you may have already answered this with Brandon Ayuk, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you just in case there's a different one. Uh, is there a prospect that you've studied that you don't think enough people are talking about that more people should look at? That's a great question. I mean, there's so much draft coverage nowadays, and yeah. so many. Uh, people out there talking about these players that it, it honestly is so hard to find quote unquote sleepers or even in fantasy drafts to find sleepers because there's just so much content uh, out there. Ayuk is definitely one of those late round guys that I like a lot. I want to remind everyone not to sleep on Brian Edwards. I like uh, it. He is a guy that I like a lot. And I think as of two months ago, everyone liked a lot, but we just don't hear anything about him nowadays because he broke a bone in his foot uh, right before the combine. And so we didn't get to see him compete with these other wide receivers. But he's a guy that's falling in terms of overall ranks. And he's a guy that's no one's talking about with buzz. But going into the combine, I mean, he was a guy that everyone liked a lot. So just want to remind everyone uh, about him. And he's a guy that I'll be watching closely as the next few weeks progress. 
Yeah, he. I, I like that call. I, I do think he was a, definitely a guy who was in the top. I mean, I think he was my number seventh I, I had rated at, at wide receiver this year, so I like Edwards a lot. I, I'm hoping that he continues to slip just like Ayuk because I, I think they're both going to be really good in the NFL. A lot of people are, are not talking about him. Uh, I mean, Matt, I, that's all I've got. Dennis, you have anything else you, you want to ask about? Uh, ask the medical professional before we get out of here? What do you think this bump on my head is? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. You would be I, I shocked appreciate at how often that happens. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Well, uh, Matt, we uh, we really appreciate you jumping on, taking about an hour out of your day to just kind of sit and talk, ask her, uh, answer all these medical questions we had for you. I'm sure you you get these a lot. So, you willing to take time out of your day uh, means a lot to us. Is there anything you want to plug for any of our audience? Uh, podcast articles. Plug your Twitter handle again so you can get, have the roundtable crew kind of follow you around because you are definitely more smarter than me and Dennis, and I think we can both admit that. And I'm I'm okay admitting that at least. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot, guys. This was a blast. Uh, always happy to come on again if you guys need anyone to talk injuries or answer any questions uh, about injuries. Happy to do it. So thank you again. Everyone can find me on Twitter at TheFantasyPT. Uh, you can find our podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts. We are the Red Shirts fantasy football podcast i do that with matt okada and john helmkamp uh you can find us online redshirtsfantasyfootball.com and you can find a lot of my injury articles over on the fantasyfootballers.com awesome well again thank you so much for jumping on with us we'll definitely have you back on as we get closer to the season because you know there's going to be a ton of injuries that happen hopefully if nfl training camps and preseason kick off so we can kind of get an idea of what we're we're looking for for our stars and everything before they come back and again uh Really appreciate you coming on and spending a little bit of time with us today. Uh, you know, enjoy your weekend and, and stay safe out there. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, guys. Stay safe out there. Right on. J.K. Dobbins rules. Prepare for glory. I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? I came out the wrong line already. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly. Oh, they tackle him at the point of Who can make a play? I can. Who can make a play? I can. <laughs>